Well, good evening, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to, uh, man, it's been such a great day. Look how rainy it is outside. It's awesome. Um, tonight, we're talking about this weird, like I said at the beginning, this weird little story that I absolutely love. Uh, it's one of my favorites to teach on, but I haven't been able to do so around here for a while. Um, so I, I've been like, I've been kind of giddy today, uh, which has been odd for me. I don't think I've been giddy since like 2019. Um, we're looking at this crazy story about Jesus walking through walls <laughs> to appear to his disciples behind locked doors, not once, but twice. And we're also talking about his friend who, who refused to believe until he saw Jesus for himself. Uh, I love this story because it's full of mystery and doubt, but above all, it's, a, it's full of relationship. Uh, Jesus is drawing his people close to him. The message of the resurrection is this. God is drawing you close. God is drawing us close. Uh, And we see this most clearly not in abstract discussions about the resurrection or God conquering sin and death, but through the real flesh and blood actions of Jesus after his resurrection. The actions that he uh, takes towards his friends and his followers, even those who famously doubt him, like his friend Thomas. Uh, I love this story about Thomas because it's, it's... It's a unique encouragement to those of us who are wounded, um, to those of us who are traumatized, to those of us who are doubting, and also an encouragement to all of us as as a community of faith to rally around these people, to rally around the people who are just getting beat up by life, who are suffering from trauma, who um, who are struggling to believe that any of this is real anymore. And there's a lot of us in that boat these days, right? Uh, after the past few years, particularly the last year we've had, um, who among us has emerged unscathed? I look around the world, uh, especially our country, and I mean, you don't need me to tell you this. We see so much anger and bitterness and trauma, the political divisions, the death and devastation of pandemic, uh, the, the descent into racism and violence, the never-ending spree of gun violence. Um, We see families estranged. We see marriages ending. Um, We've seen miscarriages and terminal diagnoses. It's it's heartbreaking. It's overwhelming. And it often feels like it's getting worse, right? So we're all at least a little battered. Some of us have endured incredible trauma the past few years. And so it's completely understandable and quite frankly relatable to be struggling to see God in all of this these days. Doubt is a vital part of the journey of faith. It's inevitable, and it doesn't make you weak or inferior. It makes you a human being. I'm never surprised by doubt anymore, uh, my own or others. And I'm, I'm, I'm especially unsurprised given the current environment that we're living in. And I also know that Jesus is in the business of turning our sorrow to joy. <laughs> He's in the business of turning our wounds to strengths, our anger to forgiveness, our resentment to peace, and our hate to love. Just before he's arrested and killed, Jesus warns his friends that they're going to face intense sorrow in the coming days. And then he also promises them that he's going to turn their sorrow to joy. That's a promise that, that extends to you and I. And the story that we're looking at tonight is a beautiful example of this that I hope will inspire all of us to, to join Christ in that work. Uh, If you remember last week, Shana talked about Mary uh, seeing the risen Christ after that first Sunday morning after his crucifixion. And if you missed her talk, uh, you should definitely 
Maybe not stop what you're doing right now, but right after this, go back and listen to our podcast or watch it on, on, our, on our website or on our YouTube channel uh, because it was a really great talk. Um, but anyway, our story tonight starts with that, starts on that same evening after Jesus appeared to Mary. Uh, we're going to take the story just a little bit at a time and talk about it along the way. So this is uh, John 20, starting at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Boo! Just kidding, that's not what happened. He said, that's what I would do <laughs> if I could walk through walls and they thought I was dead. Boo! Uh, he said, Jesus, because he's classier than I am, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So finally, Jesus appears to his friends. He walks through locked doors, which apparently is just a thing you can do when you come back from the dead. And right off the bat, what does he start talking about? Peace and reconciliation. The first things Jesus' friends hear him talk about uh, are messages of peace and reconciliation. Right off the bat, Jesus draws his friends closer to him. And then he sends them out to draw the rest of the world close to him. He sends them out with messages of peace and reconciliation, telling them to go out and forgive <laughs> the sins of the world. Go out and reconcile. Go out and restore people to each other and to me. Side note, that line that Jesus says, uh, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That struck me as really odd this week. I don't know it's ever stood out to me before, but it, it just seemed weird. Um, like, it seems like Jesus is giving his disciples the, the, the choice of who sins they're going to forgive and who they're not. Uh, but this is simply, uh, I found, the result of just... This is just unclear in English, basically. Jesus isn't trying to say that it's up to them. He's trying to stress to them how important forgiveness is. He's saying, if you don't forgive someone's sins, they're not forgiven. So you better go out and start forgiving people's sins. You better start reconciling. Stop locking yourselves away up here in this room by yourselves and get out there and do the work that I'm giving you to do. Picking back up in uh, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, one of, the, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So I, I'm not 100% sure why they include, why he explains the twin thing, because Thomas is an Aramaic word that means twin. And then when it says they also called him Didymus, that's just the Greek word for twin. And his people reading this uh, spoke Greek and Aramaic. So like they already knew that this guy's name just means twin. I don't know if that meant that he had a twin, but his name just literally means twin. That's the importance of that. That's not what's significant here. Uh, the significant detail that's included in this little passage is that uh, Thomas isn't there. He's just spent three years with these 10 other guys. They're his people. He belongs with them, but he's not with them. They've just gone through some intense trauma, right? They've just watched their beloved friend be brutally executed by the state. They just watched their hopes and dreams built up over the past three years dashed in an instant. So 
Thomas is heartbroken. He's so devastated that he's isolated himself away. We can all relate to that feeling, right? Our, our instinct when we face trauma and pain and suffering or doubt is to isolate ourselves. Uh, we sort of crumble into ourselves. But so often, that's the exact opposite of what we need. We need to experience grace and community the most when we want to hide. Thomas wasn't with his friends when, when they had this amazing experience of, of the risen Christ. So picking back up in verse 25. So the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas is hearing these accounts of his friends, but he's not convinced. He wants hard evidence. He says, friends, I, I don't believe you. When they're giving him what should be the greatest news of his life, that should alleviate his grief. But his, his disappointment and his anguish and his wounds are so deep that he refuses to believe anything that he's hearing. It's too risky. It's too painful to have his hope reignited. He needs more than just the words of his friends, which I think is totally reasonable. He needs the same experience. And he says, unless I have that experience, I won't believe what you're saying to me. Thomas is so wounded that he's not even willing to consider what they're saying. He's basically saying, guys, he's dead. He's not who he said he was. People don't walk through walls. People don't come back to life. The last three years were a waste. Give it up. It's over. And it's for this reason that Thomas is giving the, given the nickname Doubting Thomas, which is, I don't know. I tend to wear doubt as a badge of honor, so I don't think it's that bad. But it, it, it's kind of a bummer because throughout history, Thomas has sort of been bashed. But he, he, he was a lot of things, not just a doubter. He was earnest. He was brave. He was a faithful follower of Jesus. And his doubt wasn't unique among the disciples. Something that I didn't really realize until I read this this year is that uh, we're not told anything uh, to make us believe that any of the other disciples, except for John, um, believe that Jesus was alive again until they saw them for themselves. Thomas just happened to be uh, not with them. <laughs> so all he's asking for is to, to have the same experience the rest of his friends did that caused them to believe. They didn't believe until they saw Jesus face to face, but we don't call all of them doubters. Because words aren't enough. In, this, in these kinds of moments. Thomas is heartbroken. He's in pain. He, and so he's, he's attempting to uh, protect himself with doubts. Doubts can often protect us, right? Thomas, it, it, doubt is protecting him from further pain, um, from further disappointment, maybe from further embarrassment of being duped. And he's still too traumatized to risk being wounded all over again. Doubt gives him a much-needed sense of security. What do your doubts protect you from? Like Thomas, do your doubts protect you from your painful wounds? Do they protect you from your fears? Do they help you feel safe? Do they help you mitigate risk? Do they protect you from feeling um, disappointed or feeling foolish? They do for me. My doubts are often, at least in part, a front. <laughs> I, I, want, I want to appear intelligent. I want to appear sophisticated, which is hard to do when you believe some of the stuff I believe. 
doubts help with that. If I like kind of halfway believe them, then it's not as weird that I believe that someone literally rose from the dead. Especially in a culture that conflates skepticism with intelligence. My doubts protect me from the fear of being dismissed as being foolish or simple-minded. My doubts give me the feeling of safety. Because I'm close to the exits, so I can always leave if something goes wrong. Picking back up in our story, uh, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Again, this is an incredibly significant detail. Uh, Thomas doubts, but he's still present. He doesn't believe the fundamental thing that is keeping this group of people together, and yet he still belongs. To me, this is such a beautiful image of what the church should look like, and it's an it's a inspiring image of what we strive to be here at TNL. You cannot believe, and you still belong here. You can be bitter, you can be angry, you can be wounded, you can be traumatized, you can be tired. Or like I said before, you can be having the best day of your life, and you still belong here. And our hope is that in belonging here, you will form, uh, develop and form relationships of trust with people who see and know you. Our hope is that you will hear stories that inspire you to maybe hope again. And ultimately, we hope that you experience the risen Christ within this community. We hope that you experience the wounded and scarred Christ who is in the business of healing wounds and turning sorrows to joy. Back to the story. So it's a week later, and the disciples are all locked up in this room together again. But this time, Thomas is with them. This is the rest of verse 26. Though the doors were locked, we've heard this before, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, not boo. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. So Jesus shows up again a week later. He's clearly not in a rush. He is frustratingly not in a rush. He lets Thomas linger for a week, hearing his friend's stories. Being in the midst of a, a, of a group filled with joy when all you feel is anguish is an incredibly hard place to be. But he continues to be there. And finally, Jesus shows up. And what Jesus does next is incredible. Because if you're anything like me, uh, you grew up hearing or at least somehow coming to believe that God is disappointed or maybe even uh, angry with us when we doubt. Like we, we're bad for doubting, but that's not what we see here. Jesus immediately again extends peace and reconciliation and relationship. He isn't angry or disappointed. He doesn't balk at Thomas's demands or chastise him for not having enough faith. No, in compassion, he gives Thomas exactly what Thomas said he needed to experience Jesus face to face, to see his wounds for himself, to hear Jesus's voice. And then Jesus calls him to something more. He says, don't be unbelieving, believe. Some translations say, stop doubting and believe. In the Greek, the word for doubt uh, or unbelieving here is apistos. And the word translated as believe is pistos. They're basically the same word. Pistos means faith. Jesus is saying, don't be faithless, be faithful. He's saying, Thomas, have hope. 
Jesus draws Thomas close to him. He comes to Thomas with love and reconciliation and calls him to a restored relationship. And Thomas encounters the presence of, of, a, of, of a God who loves him so deeply that he responds by saying, my Lord and my God, which is not just some random thing to say to Jesus. It, it's a unique Jewish phrase used to identify the Messiah. It's a phrase that's, that's steeped in the context of a relationship. It's a phrase that signifies that Thomas is acknowledging that Jesus has drawn him close. It's a phrase that, that tips to us, that shows that Thomas's sorrow has turned to joy just as Jesus promised. I, I love this story. There's honestly so much that we can take away from it. There's so many implications of it. The more that I read it, the more I see. But there's just two things that I want you to hear as we wrap things up tonight. And the first is this. If you currently find yourself in a place where you identify more with Thomas than the other 10, if hope is a distant memory, if you're feeling the weight of trauma and pain, if you're angry, if you're doubting God's goodness or his very existence, and if it takes every ounce of energy that you have left to, to be here every Tuesday, physically or virtually, thank you for being here. I'm truly truly so glad and grateful that you're here. And I wish, God, I wish there was something that I could say that would take that away from you. I had a, a friend tell me this past week um, that they don't feel like they can be angry here. And I don't know that I could hear something worse <laughs> as the pastor of this place. I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong here. Though I know it can be incredibly taxing or lonely or maddening, I want to encourage you to keep pushing yourself away from isolation. Keep showing up. What you and I need, uh, what you and I are longing for, whether we know it or not, is an encounter with Jesus. And more often than not, we have that experience in the community of saints. Thomas encountered Jesus not in isolation, but in the community of saints, the same community that TNL is a part of today. God loves you. We love you. God is drawing you close, though it doesn't always feel like it, right? Like we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, Jesus doesn't seem to be interested in magically or instantly rescuing us from things as much as he seems determined to walk through things with us. So I don't know how or when, and I don't, I don't know why sometimes he lets us linger, but I have hope that Jesus is working to turn your sorrow to joy. So will you take, will you take the risk to find out? You don't need to hide or pretend that you're accepted and welcomed and loved here just as you are. That's the first thing. The second thing is for those of us who maybe don't currently identify with Thomas's struggle. We probably have in the past, and I guarantee we almost certainly will in the future. But right now, I, I want to remind those of us who fall in that camp of something. Uh, I'm convinced that the image or the metaphor uh, of the church being the body of Christ isn't just like a cute thing that, that the first believers came up with. Not just a cute thing that Jesus told us. It's literally our purpose to be the visible representation of the invisible God, to be the means through which the whole world is blessed. 
We're supposed to be the means by which the world can see and touch Jesus. In the absence of a physical body, Jesus has given the world me and you and us each other. That's, that's an incredible calling. It doesn't mean the church or our church is perfect or that we even come close to being a perfect reflection of Jesus. But it does mean that uh, we experience God through, through this community of saints as we offer images to the world and to each other of what true joy and love and hope and grace and forgiveness and generosity look like. It's in community that we experience so many of the aspects of God. I can tell you, I have told you several times that I only still believe any of this stuff. I only still have hope in God because I have experienced his love through you, through this community. This community of saints that continually extend grace and love to me. People around me who, who give me hope that maybe this God exists. And maybe beyond that, he actually loves me. <laughs> even when I can't bring myself to believe in him. All of us need to be reminded that we are the visible representation of an invisible God to each other in the world. So how do we continue to make space and pursue the Thomases in our midst? We need to be a reflection of the risen Christ to them and in those moments and intentionally and proactively pursue them. When we notice others suffering wounds or trauma or doubts, we need to move toward them and not away from them. What they're going through is already so isolating. They need to be reminded that they're loved. They need to be reminded that they belong. They need to be invited to still be a part of this community. Thomas isolated himself from his friends. Do you think, do you think he just magically overcame his anguish that was keeping him from his best friends to suddenly be with them the following week? Maybe. It's possible, but I think it's far more likely that the 10 others rallied around him and pursued him and loved him and invited him to persist in their community. I have to admit to all of you, I'm not naturally good at this. I know some people that are, and I'm, I'm really jealous of them. When I experience others withdrawing, I tend to assume that that's what they need. And so I let them go. And 99% of the time, that's the exact opposite of what they need. They need to be pursued, not given space. People will tell you <laughs> when they need space, when it's too much. You will know. <laughs> so, who do you need to reach out to this week? Who do you need to, to send a text to or just call to check in on? Who, who can you invite to be with you next week? We need to meet our Thomases with all their wounds and traumas and doubts with love and compassion, not anger and fear, not resentment, not bitterness. We need to draw them close just as God is drawing them close. As I've said several times now, it's so often in the community of saints that we experience the love and grace of the risen Christ. It's so often in the midst of community that we see sorrows turn to joy. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this story of Thomas. God, it, uh, it takes a lot of, I think, bravery 
and emotional energy to uh, be honest about what we think and what we believe, especially when everyone around us thinks something differently. It's really hard to feel like we're the only ones suffering and that everyone else is fine or everyone else is just ignoring what's going on. God, I pray for everyone who finds themselves there tonight, who are waiting for you to show up. And God, I pray that you won't let them linger any longer, but that you will appear to them in a way that they cannot deny. And God, I pray that we can be a community and a church um, that manifests you, that can be that visible image of the invisible God. God, I pray that everyone who's broken and battered that walks through these doors would come to experience and encounter you through us. We love you, God. Amen.